Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the podcast today, John Miller. John, welcome. Thank you very much. How's it going? Going very well. Really thrilled to have you. John is the CEO and co-founder of Engageo. They are an account-based marketing platform that helps companies understand, align, act, and measure their business success. Great to have you on. As usual, we will not be talking about John's company. We're going to talk about some topics in sales. In particular, our focus is going to be on the evolution of account-based selling and how account-based selling changes the nature of the way that sales and marketing should work together. John not only has co-founded Engageo, he was actually one of the co-founders of a company I know everyone's heard of, Marketo. So we'll talk a little bit about how things have evolved since the Marketo days. John, before we do that, I always love to get to know people a little bit by their reading habits. So I'd love for you to contemplate maybe what's your favorite, could be sales book of all time, since we're going to dip a little in the marketing direction, that, that's fair game too, or leadership book of all time. I'm not going to just pick one, but I'll give you a couple of my favorite leadership books. You know, one is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. If you are a, a leader, it's uh, the closest thing to the instruction guide for how to build high-performing teams that I've ever found. You know, that one's pretty popular. You probably heard that on the show before. Number two is one I'm also sure you hear all the time, which is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I don't think you can be a tech CEO without reading that because it's an instruction manual for how you navigate your life. The third was one that you probably don't hear as often, but I also highly recommend. It's called Turn the Ship Around. It's by a, a USS Navy submarine captain. And it's really the story of how he took his, his boat and really and all the sailors on the boat and really turned them into an empowered workforce. And it's interesting because you think a, a nuclear submarine is something where command and control pretty much is required. But he was able to just make some behavioral changes to keep the control that was necessary, but to empower the team. And the number one thing that they did was they embraced the concept as they talk, starting with the phrase, I intend to. In other words, don't go to your boss and say, may I do this or you know, can I have permission to do this? Instead, go to your boss and say, I intend to do this. And then the boss's job becomes... One, not of giving permission, but of exploring and asking questions. And then the best employees start to predict and anticipate the questions their boss is going to ask. So instead, then they say, I intend to do this because of X, Y, and Z, et cetera, et cetera. And when that happens, they're truly empowered. All the boss has to do is say, great, make it happen. I'm so glad you brought that book up and you described it better than I could. It is that, that whole thing about I intend to do X and then adding the detail because of and then the decision maker, in that case, the submarine commander could just say approve. So yeah, I, I strongly support all three of your recommendations. Let's transition into the, into the topic of the day. The best way to start this is to actually kind of wind the clock back to 2005 and maybe even before that, when you, know, you and your co-founders started up Marketo. What was the world of selling like when you started that? Back then, in some cases, a lot of companies still looked at marketing as the people who made uh, color brochures and threw parties. Sales was kind of, you know, off on their own without a lot of support from the marketing team. What was happening in 2005 is if you think about it, Google AdWords at that point was a couple years old. Marketers were for the first time generating 
you know, quote unquote leads at real volume, really for the first time. The opportunity for a tool like Marketo was that companies needed a place to capture those leads, store those leads, and they needed to, you know, do something with them. As companies sort of started to adopt this kind of demand generation or lead generation role for marketing, you know, what you got was this sort of the baton handoff, I think, that we sort of all all come to know and love today, where marketing might generate a quote-unquote lead, pass that to a sales development rep to qualify. If it's appropriate, sales development rep would then hand it off you know, to a sales team. And you have this kind of like factory model of sequential processing as it moves through the system. At Marketo, that actually was pretty efficient for us. You know, we actually built a revenue engine where the marketing team was generating as much as 80% of all the pipeline that the sales team was closing. You know, we had a little bit of outbound happening, but it was mostly you know, reps talking to existing customers and you know, getting introductions to other things. You know, and there was almost no kind of true cold prospecting. The problem, though, is the world kind of changed in the last 13 years or so since then. I mean, we've all seen the data about buying teams getting bigger. The bigger the team, obviously, every salesperson knows, you know, the less likely a company is ultimately to end up buying because it only takes one veto to kill a sale. If you're taking a lead-centric approach, talking to individuals in isolation, you're kind of missing out on the fact that the buying is happening in a group. You know, and I think if you're going to win, win these deals today, you have to kind of you know, work the entire buying team. Companies are realizing the value of moving up market is another big change. The Marketo lead handoff model was, I think, really good for $15,000 deals, $20,000 deals, which is kind of what Marketo was doing at the time. As we started trying to sell to the enterprise, larger companies, larger deals, which are profitable, like you want, those are good, those are good deals to be selling. We weren't kind of capturing those big guys. The, the analogy I like to use is that the demand gen model was like fishing with a net. We didn't care which small fish we caught. We just cared did we catch enough, but the big fish didn't swim into our net and we need to, to kind of find different ways to reach out to them proactively, like spearfishing. That metaphor was used uh, very well by Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler in uh, Predictable Revenue. The one uh, sidebar interesting thing was most people have heard of a red spin selling by Neil Rackham and another one of his books that's not as well known called Major Account Selling. And I came, I'm going to read a quote because uh, I just read it two days ago and it's, it's kind of stuck out. I wrote it down on a sticky note because I thought it was fascinating, which is with the increasing trend towards shared decision-making and committee purchasing, Access to the full range of individuals at the focus of power is likely to become increasingly difficult. Salespeople must learn more effective indirect methods to influence these unseen but powerful people. That could have been written yesterday, but the sort of quiz of the day is what year do you think that book was written in? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I know it's a pretty old book. That was 1989. So that could have been written yesterday. So yes, I do agree things are, are definitely changing, but it's interesting that the signals of this have been there for a long time. You know, in many ways, back in the days when all marketing did was, you know, color brochures and parties, I think sales, frankly, had to do more, right? And I think some of the, those principles were more dominant. And then we went through about a 10 or 15 year period where the baton handoff model became so hot that in many cases, I think salespeople moved away from some of that more traditional stuff. You know, and I think that's the point you were making in many ways, as we're realizing the limitations of the marketing lead handoff model, 
we're coming back to some of the kind of old sales principles as well. I actually wanted to pick up on a thread that you, you know, you just mentioned before I diverged on, on yet another book was this whole deal that if you're selling to the enterprise, the sales development or account-based sales development motion needs to be very different. We're ourselves at SalesLoft kind of running into that is how do we, how do we tune? Cause we do run a separate enterprise sales development function. Mm -hmm. How do we tune that function basically differently than the mid-market sales development function. I'd love to hear kind of some of your thoughts on tuning differences and, and ways that our, our listeners who are responsible for, for that tuning and selfishly for me, like how do we make that better? In some ways, the bigger the account that you're going after, the more quality matters over quantity. And obviously there's a, there's a spectrum here, you know, but I think that's kind of you know, a generally true thing. So I think one of the implications are if, if you sell million dollar deals, and there's kind of a, a broad buying committee of, of people that you're trying to touch. There's not that many of those big accounts. I think the risk of you sending, for example, a less personalized or less relevant email that causes them to hit the spam button, that risk is much more expensive. When you only have 500 companies you can sell to, a spam is much worse than it is when you have a large target market. So, so you have these two forces. One, you can afford to put more resource in because the deals are bigger. And two, you have to put more personalization in because the risk of an opt-out is so high. And the question in my head that pops up when you say that is like, okay, for sure, it's a bigger opportunity. You can afford to invest more in that. What are some of the things that your customers have done or that you have done, right, in leading to highly successful companies, uh, what are some things that you have done that are good examples of that increased investment, that, that yield? Yeah, well, so there's, there's, first of all, just the obvious, you know, more research, more relevance, more personalization. I think the best practice that I've seen across our customers is trying to not just use kind of the personal touch, but actually to deliver what the CEB calls commercial insight. But according to the ITSMA, 75% of executives said that they would respond to an unsolicited outreach if it contained ideas that are relevant to moving their business forward. And when they dug into what is moving the business forward actually mean, it said it has to have, you know, be customized to the needs of their industry and to ideally their business, basically teach them something they, don't, they didn't know. I'm sure you've read the challenger sale book. We've talked about a lot of books. That's effectively exactly what a challenger sale is. And that's why I use the word commercial insight. So the most effective way to prospect into these large enterprise accounts uh, by doing a challenger sale type of message that teaches them something in a way that's customized to their business. You know, let's say I were a skeptical CRO or CMO for your business, for Engageo, like how would you teach me something I didn't know? What, what do you coach your reps to, to position when they engage prospects? We're not the perfect, perfect example, to be honest. You know, our ACVs tend to be around thirty or $40,000 a year. But, you know, we also try to kind of, you know, push the cutting edge of this because of who we are. So we have had some success with industry-specific messaging. We work with, for example, a fairly large number of cloud security vendors. So in that case, we're able to use the success of some number of our customers to talk about the challenges they uniquely faced and how they kind of moved it forward. 
Another example, one that we did that was kind of an industry specific play was around uh, open source companies moving up market. There's a whole pattern of companies there that all have a similar business problem and kind of a similar pain. A lot of companies struggle with this because you know, what you're talking about here is something that feels a lot like product or solution marketing, you know, but tying that motion into the account-based selling function, that's where a lot of the magic happens. Have you had a good example recently where you were evaluating a purchase where someone was able to you know, get to you with a, a valuable industry or business insight? The highly personalized, that is for, I think, useful for like 250K, 500K plus deals from there. The price points that we sell in, you know, a tactic that we see work really actually extraordinarily well is just combining direct mail with the sales development function. You know, send a package to multiple decision makers or, or influencers at the account. One of the things that we send in our package oftentimes is a printed copy of my book, The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Marketing. And what we'll do is we'll stick a post-it notes on a couple of the key pages you know, that have kind of information that, that we think is going to be relevant to that particular persona. And then you put the cover letter on and say, hey, we highlighted these pages for you, et cetera, et cetera. When the package gets delivered, that triggers the cadence to reach out to those groups of people you know, as a follow-up. I know that one thing people struggle with is you, you've got this category of marketing automation systems with the Marketos of the world in there. And then you've got this category of uh, you know sales engagement systems like what we do. We get the question a lot, and I'd love to hear your perspective and advice on how should companies think about using those two systems in an account-based motion? I mean, it's a little bit hard to answer without sounding maybe slightly promotional because I built Engageo on the thesis that you can't do it with just Marketo and and you know one of these other tools. You know that you know Marketo was built for a certain style of marketing. Obviously, you know Engageo and SalesLoft have an integration where you know our joint customers, for example, are able to set up the cadences we talked about, where if an account hits a certain level of activity, for example, we're able to automatically add them to a campaign, which then lets the uh, SDR do a manual approval. And if they approve it, then the package gets sent. As soon as it's delivered, that triggers the cadence. You know, and when the cadence finishes, depending on what whether they've replied or not, we would either drop them into you know, an ongoing nurture or not. Whatever you're using, there is this aspect of someone needs to decide whether this is a good account to engage and marketing, I would presume would actually do that, right? Actually, uh, I don't agree with that, but keep go- we'll come back to it. Keep going. <laughs> someone should decide. Okay, but I would like to come back to that. Uh, so someone should decide, then you trigger the campaign, the direct mail gets executed, then the other series of touches get executed and, and so on. But yeah, let's circle back to that. So who should own the target account list? The best practice I've seen is something that I call um, marketing driven, but sales owned. Marketing generally basically almost generates a spreadsheet that has all the possible accounts in the territory with all the relevant data about how likely closely they match to the ICP. And then the sales rep can pick from that list the ones that they think is best. 
So marketing is guiding, but the sales owns. We think of marketing as owning the account universe, but marketing defines, you know, and works with sales, obviously on the ICP, they source the accounts, right? So they do have the data and then they tier the accounts. And then within those tiers, the, uh, you know, we have some, some additional account scoring that we provide, but within those tiers, the salesperson can decide, yes, I will, or, or no, I won't engage the account where I think there probably is an opportunity for us to, to what you're talking about is like where the disconnect happens is marketing focuses on, right. They have a certain, uh, a set of motions and a certain amount of spend that they'll do on a tier one, a tier two, a tier three account. But they're going to do that no matter what. Like there, there's no sync that says, ah, okay, the salesperson has plucked this account out of tier two. That's where we should spend the money. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think the you know, what I would hate to see is marketing is spending money on a tier one or tier two or, or any kind of target account. And then the sales still would have discretion to say, oh, I'm going to work that or not. You, you just taught me something today. We got to fix that problem. That's uh, super helpful. There was one other thing I wanted to circle back to from our prior thread, when you send the package uh, or send, send the packages, you're targeting a number of personas. How do you decide which personas to send to, what levels, what roles? Like, how do you think about that decision? And it has everything to do with what, what your particular buying committee looks like, you know, at a company, intersected with your budget, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I've seen companies, by the way, have different tiers of packages they send. You know, so the CRO might get, frankly, a better package than you know, sales director would. Usually, what if I just think about our customer base, it's somewhere between three to, I guess, six of what people end up actually doing. More than that tends to kind of overwhelm people. And uh, less is sort of not, you know, not really hitting enough of the target personas. The reason I, I asked that question is a bit of a tee up to another thing that I thought was so interesting in that book that I referenced earlier. Neil Rackham was talking about basically a mistake that a lot of salespeople make is that they call high too quickly. To your point, if you've got that very large deal and you don't have a lot of customers like that, you go in and you manage to score a meeting with the executive vice president of the monster company and you come in there and you do discovery work, that's probably the last meeting you're going to have. Mm -hmm. So his argument was like, if you're whale hunting in that way, you do have to do the groundwork at the director level, VP level, before you get into that, the C-level. It was the thing in the past where, you know, the, that C-level person was making the decisions for the organization, but, but now so often, yes, C-level is still making critical decisions, but on a lot of things they want, they, they know that they need the teams to bring them ideas that they approve because they're going to get buy-in in a much more effective way. There's also, you have to think about, there's different kinds of purchases. Right. There's purchases where there's a known need and therefore a budget exists. And then there's purchases that are whole new categories. It's a lot harder to get the whole new uh, a sales cycle going around a whole new category without at least being high enough that you have access to somebody with budget. There's an element of, of where you need to go high if that's the kind of product you're selling. The other thing I, I just want to come back to briefly is... Um, it also depends on what degree of commercial insight can you bring to the table? Because if you really have something that is unique and relevant to that industry, that will re you know, really challenge that executive's thinking, 
you know, that's going to work even if you haven't been able to do a ton of account specific discovery. Well, I'd uh, love to just recap a little bit and love for you to think about some key takeaways. I, I had two really great takeaways. One tactical, one's I think a little bit more strategic. The, the tactical one, but I think super effective is, is you know, the direct mail strategy of sending to the multiple folks within the, within the organization simultaneously, right, for simultaneous delivery. So they start talking about that and getting buzz, you know, doing that with three to six people, potentially making that a, a consumable thing of some kind or something that gets folks together. So I love that idea. And the other one is is like my own homework that uh, the way we operate, and I think the way many companies operate, where I love your idea that sales basically should should review that marketing generated account list and then sign off on those accounts that deserve to be targeted. So I think those are two great insights. In addition to those, you know, what what would you like to leave listeners with as a you know sort of actionable takeaway? The biggest thing is just kind of really knowing that we're speaking to a sales audience, you know, recognizing that all this is also requiring a pretty fundamental change in the way that you work with marketing. To be successful with all this, it's moving the mental model away from the lead handoffs, you know, and more towards the, you know, soccer team where people play different positions and move the ball, pass the ball back and forth as you move down the field. I think that is essential and it's still something that I, I see a level of resistance to. The other thing I throw out there is the importance of really having a good view as a salesperson to what are all the different marketing things that are even happening at your accounts. You know, more often than not, the communication isn't at the level that it should be, <laughs> you know, and so there might be a bunch of people at a tar- at account that you care about interacting with marketing campaigns, but if they're all leads, you may not even have visibility into what's going on. And so the first piece of the alignment is just getting the information flowing back and forth. It's almost like the the people who are actually executing the marketing campaigns and feed on the street selling, they that alignment is actually where the critical alignment needs to happen. Well, John, it was such a pleasure having you. Again, uh, that was John Miller. He is the CEO and co-founder of Engageo. John, once again, thanks for being on. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.